That amazing miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 revolved around bread. And it gave way to one of the most memorable sermons Jesus ever preached, which too revolved around bread. It was as though Jesus miraculously created his own sermon illustration to show the people that he was indeed the bread of life. And in both cases, bread was pointing to Jesus himself. It was pointing to all that he came to do, the salvation that he came to bring. In the ancient world, bread was sort of this general term that represented all the necessities of life, but especially food in general. And if you think about it, it's a very good emblem for us. We need food to live. Without food, without water, without nourishment, we die. And that is why in the Bible, God frequently uses hunger and thirst as a picture of our need for Jesus Christ. When you are hungry, you're thirsty, if you don't eat or drink, eventually you will die. And so hunger and thirst becomes a picture of our need for Christ as essential as food is for our physical life, so even more essential for our spiritual life is Jesus, the bread of life. And what Jesus does in this sermon, his bread of life sermon, is he takes us beyond our physical needs to our spiritual needs. And he exposes our superficial cravings that in the end will never satisfy our needs. And he presents himself as the true bread from heaven. The one who will truly meet our needs and satisfy our deepest longings. And yet we we read and it's Striking, we can often lose sight of this, but we we read all of this took place at the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus is preaching a sermon, and you notice how the people interrupt him and question him and grumble against him. It's hard for us to imagine that, but it's clear that in the crowd's reaction to Jesus' words that they failed to recognize their real need. And thus they failed to recognize that Jesus was the true bread from heaven. You see, they were focused on food and how to get it in abundance. They were thoroughly tuned in to their physical needs, but they failed to recognize their greater spiritual need for Jesus Christ. What I want us to understand today is that we can fall into the very same trap. We are so sensitive to our physical, earthly needs, but we can so often forget our real need for Jesus Christ. 
You see, one of the greatest dangers for us, even as believers, is to lose sight of what our real needs are. And when we lose sight of our real needs, we will inevitably lose sight of Jesus Christ. You see, like these people, we can gradually and subtly become focused just on the blessings we get from Jesus to the neglect of Jesus himself. We can come to focus on the gifts and lose sight of the giver of those gifts. Jesus wants us to understand this morning that our needs are greater than we think. But he also wants us to understand that he is the only one who can meet our needs. He is the only one that can truly satisfy us. And he wants to show us that he meets your greatest needs in a far greater way than you can ever imagine. You see, he convicts us. He convicts us of that sin of losing sight of him, losing sight of what our real need is. He exposes this issue in our lives, but he then graciously puts forth himself as the answer to all of our needs, the living bread, the one that gives his flesh for the life of the world. You should have an outline in your bulletin if that's helpful to you to follow along, but let's Let's begin by considering how the problem is diagnosed by Jesus. Uh, The previous day, he had uh, fed a large crowd with that amazing miracle. And we're told that it was 5,000 men. And commentators estimate that could have been 15 to 20,000 people because they didn't count women and children. And we're told, and this is a key word, In all of the gospel accounts, we're told that everyone ate until they were satisfied. That's the key word that shows up in all the gospels. And the focal point of that miracle, it wasn't the the fact of the miracle, it wasn't the abundance of the miracle, but it was the one who performed the miracle. I pointed out to you again and again how John uses the word sign for all of Jesus' miracles. A sign points to something. It was pointing to something greater, to the true bread from heaven. But we immediately see that the focus of the people was all wrong. They follow him to the other side of the lake. And John tells us in verse 24 that they went there Seeking Jesus. They were seeking Jesus. We might say, great, they're seeking Jesus. Friends, we need need to understand this about our own hearts. We need to understand this when we're interacting with unbelievers. Not all interest in Jesus is real interest in Jesus. They were seeking Jesus. Jesus for what he could give them. 
They weren't so much interested in him, but what he could give them. And Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. They found him on the other side of the lake, and they say, Rabbi, why, why didn't you? When did you come here? It's kind of like small talk, like they're a little bit curious. And he gets right to the heart of the matter. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs. In other words, not because you saw that sign as pointing to me, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They didn't see Jesus' miracle as a sign pointing to himself and their spiritual destitution apart from him and their need for him, but they were preoccupied with the material blessing that Jesus gave and they wanted more of it. This led William Hendrickson to write, the Lord criticized them for their thoroughly materialistic motive in seeking him. And so if we could summarize the problem in one word, we could use that word materialism. These people were materialists. In other words, they were focused only on the here and the now. They thought their ultimate need was Political freedom was food. And they saw Jesus simply as the magical bread giver. And even though they were face to face with Jesus, tragically, they missed out on who he was. They missed the greatest blessing of having Jesus Christ himself. And what Jesus is saying to them, he can say to us. He can say, you're not seeking me. You're seeking material blessings. Now, when we think of materialism, you may think of someone who is obsessed with earthly possessions, who has to have the nicest of everything, but Materialism is simply an obsession with the here and the now. And it can easily happen to us. Our, our earthly needs, they're real. And we can sense them. We can see them. We can feel them. But spiritual things are unseen. They often don't seem real to us. And because of this, we can lose sight of our real need for Jesus. A real need for His forgiveness and His power in our life. You see, this materialism can happen at the heart level. And it's an indicator that it is happening in our hearts when we come to view Jesus simply as a genie who gives us stuff. Now hear me correctly, it's, it's not wrong for us to give thanks for the blessings that the Lord gives to us. We're commanded to do that. It's not wrong for us to pray for our earthly physical needs, to even, even pray for the Lord 
to bless us. We're, we're taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But the danger comes in when we lose sight of the gracious God who gives those blessings. And friends, we need to understand that this problem of materialism is not an isolated issue. We, can, we need to see it as our problem. It's, it's a temptation. It's a danger for the church in every age. And that's the point that Jesus makes. I, I pointed out to you before how Jesus deliberately reenacts Old Testament history. And he's showing that the Israelites, their forefathers, were guilty of this very same thing. That, that they too were materialists. I pointed out to you the connection with Numbers 11, how that same word, grumbling, the same thing of manna and food and people grumbling because they thought they weren't going to get their physical provisions. Jesus picks up on this theme. It, the beginning of the chapter tells us that it was Passover season, which meant everyone had their minds on the exodus. Everyone, everyone was thinking about the deliverance from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the manna from heaven. And what does Jesus do? Well, he brings, brings them bread from heaven. And then he somehow miraculously crosses the sea. That's the beginning of the chapter. It's clear they're wondering, like, we know Jesus didn't get into that boat, but somehow he's on the other side. Did he part the sea? So they're thinking, they're thinking in this way, and the people clearly make the connection. They start talking about the manna. And yet it's also clear that what they're thinking is, yeah, what you did was great, but we need to see a little bit more. Verses 30 to 31. What sign do you do that we may believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. You notice how they cite Scripture. They clearly saw themselves as good, religious, Bible-believing people, but Jesus exposes them as materialists. In their minds, what Jesus did was good, but He didn't quite measure up to Moses yet. I can imagine they're thinking, they're probably thinking, well, Moses fed two million people for 40 years. Jesus fed a couple thousand once. Like, we need to see a little bit more. This reveals that their focus was limited to the here and the now. And it's not a new problem. Our focus can so often be limited to the here and the now, and we so often misunderstand what our needs really are. You see, Jesus was essentially saying to these people, look, you are on a mistaken mission. 
You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And he begins to put himself at the center and talk about himself as the bread that comes down from heaven, the bread that gives eternal life. You see, Jesus shatters our materialistic tendencies by reminding us that he himself is the true bread from heaven. You see, like these people, we can become so focused on material blessings that we miss the greater blessing of enjoying and having Jesus himself. We can so easily come to focus on what we get from Jesus instead of Jesus himself. And friends, the danger comes in when like these people, we start to see ourselves not as helpless sinners, but just good people who need a little bit of help from Jesus. And so the question for us today, I think, is, you know, am I on a mistaken mission today? You see, by outward appearance, we're a lot like this crowd. We have come here this morning and we would say, yes, I have come seeking Jesus. Pointed out how John tells us that this took place in a synagogue, a place of worship. I think this reminds us that it is possible for us to to attend worship, to read our Bibles, to, to do Christian things, and yet to be on a mistaken mission. The great question is, am I seeking Jesus himself? Is my heart focused on the true bread that will enable me to live forever? Jesus is teaching that our greatest need is to have him as the bread of life. To have the one who forgives sins. To have the one who is the, the satisfier of our deepest cravings. Isn't it amazing that our Lord, by that miracle, by that sign, created the metaphor? He created the sermon illustration. And you'll notice how when these people come, Jesus speaks roughly with them. I mean, we, we might consider this a bit rude. He, he ignores their question, and he gets right to the heart of the matter. And Friends, we should thank God that Jesus at times speaks roughly to us. Because we need it. We need to be shaken out of our spiritual stupor. And Jesus speaks roughly to us because he loves us. 
So let's finally and more briefly think about the person in view. See, Jesus loves us and he wants us to avoid missing out on that great blessing of an intimate personal relationship with him. Jesus wants you to enjoy your relationship with him. And as the passage goes on, as his sermon goes on, the attention is directed more and more to Jesus himself. He wants us to see that he is the true gift from the Father. And this is, in John's Gospel, the first I am saying of Jesus. I am the bread of life. And probably most of you are aware that is an allusion to Exodus 3, when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush as I am who I am. This is, in Greek, not how you typically would say, I am. This is a deliberate reference. This is a Jesus giving himself a divine title. He's declaring himself to be the all-sufficient God. One who satisfies our deepest cravings. And in verses 35 to 40, Jesus uses the words, I, me, and my, 17 times. He puts himself at the center. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And friends, he does this. He puts himself at the center because the blessings of the Christian life are only ours through a personal relationship with Jesus himself. The gospel. If you get one thing today, the gospel is not some abstract list of benefits. The gospel is Jesus himself. And that is the tragedy of so-called American Christianity. It is Christless. It's a false gospel that says Christianity is a list of benefits. The gospel has been de- personalized. The gospel is Jesus Christ. And that's the point of Jesus' language in verse 52 and following, where he talks about the necessity of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He was saying your ultimate need is not earthly food and drink, but your ultimate need is to receive me by faith. In our minds, our needs, our needs are going to be met by something. But Jesus is saying, your deepest needs are met by a someone. 
A great gift from heaven is not manna. It's not earthly blessing. It's Jesus, the true bread from heaven. He's saying to these people and he's saying to us, you're focused on material earthly blessings, but they will never satisfy your deepest longings. What did we read in our call to worship? God says, why do you spend your money for that which is not food? Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? Here he says, your fathers ate that manna. You think that manna was so great, they ate it for 40 years and they died. I am the true bread that will enable you to live forever. He came down from heaven to give his life for sinners, to bring forgiveness. And that means the Lord himself is the greatest gift we could ever receive. And we read this language a lot in the Psalms. In Psalm 16, 5, David says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Psalm 73 has similar language. J.C. Ryle wrote this on Jesus being the ultimate gift in the gospel. He said, Our Lord would have us know that He Himself is the appointed food of man's soul. The soul of every man is naturally starving and famishing through sin. Christ is given by God the Father to be the satisfier, the reliever, and the physician of man's spiritual need. In Him and His mediatorial office, in Him and His atoning death, in Him and His priesthood, in Him and His grace, love, and power, in Him alone will empty souls find their needs supplied. Jesus satisfies. And yet the great tragedy, and it's no different today, the great tragedy we see in this sermon is that the more Jesus points to himself, the more he offers these people the greatest gift, the more they grumble. We'll think next week about the responses that we see here, but you'll notice that they they grumble, they dispute among themselves, and then at the end of the chapter, most of them desert Jesus. And Jesus puts his finger on the ultimate problem, and it's unbelief. You have seen me, and yet you do not believe. That's the underlying problem. And in fact, it's so severe that Jesus said in verse 44, no one can come to me by an act of their own unaided will. He's saying to these Bible-believing synagogue worshipers, you are unbelievers. You are outside of a relationship with God, and the only hope you have is that the Father will draw you to me.
And yet, friends, we need to remember, we need to remember this in our own lives and in our evangelism, that this great problem of unbelief, not even this, is a barrier to God's saving grace. Even in the midst of this unbelief and rejection, Jesus is highlighting the abundant provisions in the gospel. He's showing us what that miracle ultimately pointed to. That the satisfaction that those people felt when they ate until they were satisfied points to the lavish provision that Jesus brings to us by his life and death. It was the same point that Jesus made. Do you remember when he turned that water into wine? Um, I gave you the math. I think he it would have worked out to something like a thousand bottles of the best wine. Um, and the point is, it was an overabundance. And here, he's teaching us that he will feed the hungry soul until we are satisfied. But Jesus promises us complete satisfaction in him. Verse 33, he said he came down to give us life. Verse 35, he says, whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verses 37 and 39, he promises an unconditional, secure, eternal love. He says, those who come to me by the Father's enabling, those who believe in me, I will never cast out. The will of the Father is that Jesus will lose none that the Father has given to him. Jesus repeats the promise that we will be raised up with him at the last day, meaning not even death itself will rob us of what is ours in Jesus Christ. And because we cannot come to Jesus by an act of our own unaided will. We're promised the gift of faith. Verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And implied in that is that the Father does draw sinners. He does grant them the gift of faith in his Son. He does help us to recognize our our real hunger and thirst And go to Christ. D.A. Carson commenting on this passage reminds us that God compels belief in us not by savage constraint, but by the wonderful wooing of a lover. That Jesus tells us how these abundant provisions are made ours in the gospel. And he reminds us that they are only ours through the willing, sacrificial death of Jesus. That we are only given life through the death of the living bread. 
Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He goes on to talk about his flesh and his blood being true food and true drink. He's using the language of his sacrifice. And you need to trust in me. Um, he, he talks about um, chapter 6 that he only came, and this is very prominent in John's gospel. It's clear Jesus came not just to die for our sins, but he came to obey in our place. He talks about how he came not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. The living bread came and obeyed in our place, and died in our place, and rose again. Friends, today, where are you looking for satisfaction? What do you see in Jesus today? Do you simply see him as someone from whom you can get the stuff you need? Someone who is there maybe to solve your problems, to give you an easy life, to get you out of this situation? Or do you see him as the bread of life? Do you hold him precious? This I am saying of Jesus simply and wonderfully expresses the extravagance of the gospel. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, shall never thirst. It's an open invitation with no strings attached. A free offer from Christ. Throughout this episode, it's, and it's clear in uh, Jesus questions Philip before he feeds the 5,000 that uh, it's an allusion to Isaiah 55, what we read at the opening of the service. And it's as though in this miracle, in this sermon, Jesus shows us the true meaning of Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. But then he asks us this piercing question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Come, friends, come today. Feed on the one who has the true bread from heaven. Friends, enjoy your relationship with Jesus. Recognize that He is the gospel. Take hold of His promise. I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, how guilty we are of making the same mistake as our forefathers, of losing sight of our true needs and being locked into the concerns of this world. Oh God, forgive us for losing sight of Jesus. Lord, would you cause us to be sensitive to our spiritual hunger and our spiritual thirst and as poor and needy sinners, may we go to the one who is the bread of life, the one who will satisfy our deepest cravings, the one who will quench our deepest thirst. Lord, may we go to him that our souls may live. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he gave his life for us. We thank you that he continues to be our food and drink and sustenance. Lord, may we follow him. We pray these things in his great name. Amen.